Thank you for tuning in to Emmanuel Faith Community Church. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. One of my favorite all-time bands is U2. I mean, Joshua Tree is by far their greatest album, in my humble opinion. But uh, one of my other favorites is called All That You Can't Leave Behind. It came out in the year 2000, and on it they had this great song entitled Stuck in a Moment You Can't Get Out Of. And I'm not going to try to emulate Bono's iconic voice, but listen to the opening lyrics to that song. He sings, I never thought you were a fool, but darling, look at you. You got to stand up straight. Carry your own weight. These tears are going nowhere, baby. You've got to get yourself together. You've got stuck in a moment, and now you can't get out of it. And I was thinking about that as I was preparing for Daniel chapter 7, and I thought to myself, Man, it's easy to get stuck in a moment. It's easy to get stuck in this moment. In this moment where we have all of these sort of chaotic inputs coming our way of of COVID and elections and financial instabilities and questions. I mean, it's easy, isn't it, to get stuck in a moment. But I don't think that's just um, our cultural moment. I think it's really any moment. My, My guess is... You've gotten stuck in a moment that you just couldn't quite get out of. Like You might have gotten stuck in a moment if you've obsessed over something by checking your email or social media over and over and over. Or reacting to a situation because you thought it was final. Or allowing anger to ruin your day. Have you ever had something like that happen where you got really upset about something and it just, you couldn't let it go? You got stuck in a moment. Or maybe um, you viewed the past as the good old days. That's getting stuck in a moment. Or maybe you thought your pain was something you'd never get beyond. Or that a moment of bliss was fleeting and you wanted to get back to it. That's getting stuck in a moment. And I think we've, we've all been there. And today as we uh, read through and study Daniel chapter 7 together, Daniel 7 is written to people who have the potential to get stuck in the moment. Now, a little bit of background. Daniel chapter 7 is what we call apocalyptic literature. And it's a genre that we don't have a lot of today, but you could think of it as almost like um, graphic novel or political cartoons. It's uh, using symbols and numbers and imagery in order to make an evocative point that many of the original readers would have grasped. But you and I, being um, a few thousand years removed, sometimes have a harder time getting a hold of. That, that term apocalyptic comes from the Greek word apocalypsis, and it literally means to reveal or to unveil. 
which is really interesting because apocalyptic literature in a lot of ways today is really, really confusing. <laughs> but we need to know that it originally wasn't meant to confuse or to conceal, actually just the opposite. It was uh, designed to unveil and to reveal a deeper truth that was lurking right beneath the surface of what most people could see. So if you have your Bible, will you open with me to Daniel chapter 7? I don't want to overstate this, but I think that Daniel chapter 7 is actually one of the most important chapters in the entire Bible. In so many ways, it's going to give us an overview of, of history. And listen to the way that Daniel 7 begins. Says Daniel writing, and he says, In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head, and he lay down in his bed. And then he wrote down the dream and he told the sum of the matter. Now, you need to know this that, that Daniel has been mostly chronological up through chapter 6. But in chapters 7 through 12, it's just going to get a little bit chaotic. He's going to zoom back chronologically and forward. And so we need to try our best to keep up with him. So if this vision happened, like Daniel says it did, in the reign of Belshazzar the king, we know that it probably happened somewhere between chapters 4 and 5 of Daniel. And most scholars would date this dream around 553 BC, verse 2. And Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up a great sea. Just another quick side note. Up until this point, Daniel has been interpreting other people's dreams. Now he's starting to interpret and reveal his own dreams. Verse 3. And, the, and four great beasts came out of the sea, different from one another. Now, out of the sea is important. In the Hebrew mind, the sea was this place of chaos and evil. And so when it says that the beasts are coming out of the sea, it's metaphoric for um, them emerging from chaos and emerging from evil. And it suggests that the beasts are not from God, but that they are against God and his people, which we'll see. Verse 4, and we'll read all the way through through verse 8. It says, the first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. And as I looked, there were plucked off and it was lifted from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. And the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear. It was raised up on one side and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And it was told, arise, devour much flesh. After this, I looked and behold, another like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads and dominion was given to it. After this, I saw in the night visions and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke to pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it. And I had ten horns. I considered the horns, and there, and behold, there came up from among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the horns were plucked up by its roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. Now, 
Um, there's a lot of discussion about these four beasts, people trying to figure out exactly who they are and which kingdoms to attribute these to. But we know from Daniel chapter 7, verse 17, Daniel writes, these four beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. So not literally out of the sea, but they're coming from the earth. Now, I tend to take these four beasts and interpret them the same way we interpreted uh, the four kingdoms in Daniel chapter 2. If you were with us for that weekend, we talked about uh, these these four kingdoms that were to come. Babylon was the first one. The Medo-Persian Empire was second. Uh, The Grecian Empire was third. And the Roman Empire was fourth. But the things that you need to think you need to capture about these beasts in Daniel's vision are two things. One, they're unnatural. So you have uh, like a, a leopard with wings and a lion with eagle's wings and, and they're they're not natural. These are provocative images. Secondly, uh, we need to recognize that all the beasts are scary. All the beasts are uh, conquering other beasts and other kingdoms and other peoples. Now, especially, especially that fourth beast. It is frightening. And Daniel says it's different from all the other beasts. It is, according to verse 19, terrifying. So here's the question. What was it about that fourth beast that was different? Well, Daniel will say it's different in both power and scope. Its destruction seemed to sweep across the entire earth. Now, I said before that this fourth beast, I think, is the Roman Empire, but there's something unique to biblical prophecy that we need to get our head and our heart around before we go any further down the the sort of specific interpretation route. See, in in biblical interpretation, biblical prophecy, there's often a a short-term fulfillment for a prophecy, but then there's also a longer-term, more cosmic fulfillment for a prophecy, a, a dual fulfillment, if you will. And I think that's exactly what's going on with this fourth beast. In fact, uh, listen to Dale Ralph Davis as, as he wrote. He said this, I would prefer simply to dub the fourth beast the, the different kingdom and understand it as the last human kingdom, the one in which human evil and rebellion will reach its apex. And indeed, if you uh, read the accounts of history, you'll know that this fourth beast, if it is Rome, certainly isn't the last beast. (laughs) I mean, we have Hitler and Stalin and Mao that come onto the scene after that and wreak absolute havoc. What's interesting, these beasts, uh, according to Daniel 7, are just that. They're beastly But then in verse 9, we see this shift that happens, and it happens abruptly. They are, the beasts are seen as powerful, as destructive, as cosmic. And then read verses 9 and 10 with me. Daniel writes this, As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. So so he's not thrown off by uh, any of the activity of the beast. This Ancient of Days is, is, is Yahweh, is God himself. His clothing was white as snow and the hair of his head like pure wool, symbolic of his purity and his perfection. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before it. It's symbolic of his presence and his judgment. 
A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. In the and the court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. So just as quickly as we see these nations and kings and kingdoms wreaking havoc on the earth, we also see the simultaneous vision of God, the Ancient of Days, sitting, not thrown off, in judgment of. The nations, and here's what Daniel wants to help people in Babylon and beyond capture. He wants to help them avoid getting stuck in a moment that they can't get out of. There are beasts that seem to rule, but there is an ancient of days who reigns supreme. And I'd invite you to write this down if you're taking notes today. In the midst of chaos, we can trust that God is in control. In the midst of the chaos of COVID, election season, and all sorts of things that seem like they're out of control and chaotic in our lives and our nation and in our world, we can trust that there is a God who sits above it all. And here's the thing, friends, if he's in charge of and sovereign over the monsters of history, then maybe he's sovereign over and bigger than the monsters in our life as well. I mean, where in your life do you need to see Jesus, see God sitting in judgment, sitting above? Is it um, in, in this season of COVID chaos? Is it a, an addiction you're wrestling with? Is it a health concern that you're being faced with? Is, is it financial? Is it abuse? Where do you need to know that God is sitting above the chaos. And I just want to affirm to you today that he is. You don't have to get stuck in the moment. So Daniel wants to teach us in a really practical way what it looks like for us to trust that God is in control above all of the chaos in our lives so that we don't get stuck in a moment that we can't get out of. See, as Daniel continues to write, we're going to see even the the beastly kingdoms that seem insurmountable and hell-bent on perpetuating evil will one day be judged rightly. And that's exactly what Daniel begins to embellish on in verses 11 and 12. Listen to what he writes. He says, I looked then because the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. See, this most powerful ruler is just brushed aside. Just one word from God and he falls. See, the rulers that seem to hold ultimate power are really no match for the king of heaven. A genuine threat to God is an absolute illusion. And I think here's what Daniel would want to say to us in the midst of these beasts and this horn being judged. I think he would say to us, remain confident even if you're not comfortable. See, we may not live lives that are free from pain. 
But we can live lives that are free from panic. Uh, Pain is a condition of the body. Panic is a condition of the soul. And I think for right now in our current cultural moment, that's a word for us that we can remain confident even if we aren't comfortable. But you may be wondering, well, how does the Ancient of Days, how does God gain this victory over the monsters, over the beasts? Great question. Listen to verses 13 and 14 because Daniel goes into that. He says this, I saw in the night visions and behold, with clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. So by contrast to the beasts that come from the sea, the son of man comes from heaven. We could translate the son of man literally as the human one, the human one. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. So this is like uh, the Ancient of Days um, welcoming into his throne the Son of Man. And to him, to the Son of Man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people's nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So this is a fascinating image, especially you have to think of it as a, as a Jewish person, a, a monotheist reading this. And you have the Ancient of Days, God himself, sitting on his throne. And then you have the Son of Man, who's presented before his throne, given dominion and given a kingdom. I mean, this is one who is equal with God. And if you're a Jewish person, you're reading this going, how can that be? But if you're a follower of Jesus, here's what you know, and here's what I know. That the Son of Man was Jesus' favorite moniker for himself. 81 times in the gospel, he refers in the gospels, he refers to himself as the Son of Man. And every single time he refers to himself that way, he is pointing directly back to these verses in Daniel chapter. Seven, And so what Daniel is showing us as followers of Jesus is that we can believe and trust that God is in control above the chaos as we, and I'd invite you to write this down, allow Jesus's ultimate victory to shape our daily reality. We allow Jesus's ultimate victory to shape our daily reality. And in so many ways, we get stuck in a moment when we live with a microscope on our lives. And what Daniel is given by God is a telescope to to see all throughout history and to see that one day the Son of Man will reign supreme above it all. And I think what Daniel would say to you and to me is that day can be today. We can live under that reality today. I can remember a a number of Years ago, the date was October 15th of 2012. It was a Monday night, and I was so excited for Monday Night Football because the Broncos were playing the Chargers, but I had a meeting that I had to go to, and so I DVR'd the game. And I got home and was sitting down to watch the game, and a friend texted me, can you believe the Broncos made that comeback? Go Broncos! Can I get an amen? 
No? Okay, well, uh, I'll amen that. The Broncos were down 24 to zip at halftime against the San Diego Chargers. And they eventually came back and won 35 to 24, 35 unanswered points. And I watched that game a little bit differently. I watched the first half of the game where the Broncos were going down 24 to zip, but I had this conviction. I know, I know that they're going to make this comeback. As followers of Jesus, we can have that same kind of conviction when we see the the beasts of the earth, the, the, the empires of earth that rage. We can have the same kind of conviction. We know how the story ends. Jesus is king and he reigns supreme. You know, the other thing about these two verses, 13 and 14, that stand out to us are not just that the Son of Man has a throne and authority and dominion, but it's also that he says he has a kingdom, which brings us back to another thing that Jesus talked a lot about when he walked the earth. Remember when he said to his disciples in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, he says this, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. So what is this gospel? What is this good news? Here's what he says, saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The kingdom of God. So every time Jesus talked about the kingdom, uh, people that were Jews would have heard Daniel chapter 7, the Son of Man, talking about his kingdom, his rule, and his reign, which is exactly why they got so excited that he was uh, going to take down the, the beast, Rome. <laughs> what they didn't know was he had come to confront a bigger beast, a different beast, the beast of of sin and death and evil. And eventually that was the beast that he took down on the cross. See, Jesus was clear. He was setting up his kingdom. And we know from Daniel 7 and other texts that once that kingdom was established, it would never be extinguished. So if Jesus launched the kingdom, which we know he did because he told us he launched it, the kingdom is still going today because we are told that it's an everlasting domain that would not be destroyed according to Daniel chapter 7 verse 14. Uh, Theologians will say that the kingdom of God is now but it's not yet, not fully yet. But you know what is fully here? You and I today can live under the reality of Jesus's ultimate victory. So Where are some areas in your life that you're not experiencing that reality? And would you take some time right now, wherever you are, to just invite Jesus into those areas to to rule and to reign? Maybe it's an area you're unwilling to forgive or an, an area that you're living in fear. Will you invite him in and say, Jesus, if you reign throughout the cosmos, will you reign in these areas of my life today? I'm surrendering and submitting to you as king. So Daniel has this vision of the villains and the victor, but but listen, he's still 
troubled. He's still having uh, trouble getting stuck in the moment. And listen to the way he continues, verse 15. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. Now, here's just a quick timeout. This is a tip. If you're having a dream that you feel like may be some sort of message from God, prophetic in some way, um, within the dream, ask for an interpretation. That's what Daniel does. And he gets one. Listen to verses 17 and 18. These are a summary of the whole chapter. If you want to write that in the margin of your Bible, go for it. Listen to these verses. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. There are monsters, Daniel's told, but there is a Savior, the Son of Man, and He will rule forever. Now, the rest of this chapter goes into a lot of detail about this fourth kingdom and about this one horn that grows out of the fourth kingdom. And as we read further, we're going to see how to live confident that God is above the chaos. Listen to verse, beginning in verse 19, it says this, Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying, with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left of its feet, and about the ten horns that were on its head and the other horn that came up from before the three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things and seemed greater than its companions. Verse 21, as I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. So catch this, there is one horn, one ruler who seems to rise above all of the others and Daniel goes on to describe this horn. Listen to what he says in verse 23. Thus he said, as for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on the earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them, and he shall be different from the former ones and shall put, the th put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and shall think to change the times and the law, and they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and time and a half. Uh, see, there's one horn that really captures Daniel's attention, and he keeps going after this. And I think this is a case of, of dual fulfillment. Most scholars will say that this one horn is, is Anachias of Epiphanes, and he was a ruler who wreaked havoc on the Jews and on Jerusalem. We'll actually talk more about him next week. But this times, time, and three and a half points to what I think is a, a three and a half year time period that's actually alluded to again in the book of Revelation. See, Revelation talks in chapters 11, 12 and 13 about a three and a half year time period and listen to the way it describes the ruler who comes onto the scene to wreak havoc for those three and a half years revelation chapter 13 verses 5 through 8 read like this 
And the beast, notice, once again, we're talking about a beast, was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words. And it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months, which is three and a half years, or maybe a time, times, and a half time. It opens its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. And it was also allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. Authority was given over every tribe, people, language, and nation, and all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. See, see, notice the similarities to Daniel chapter 7. One, part of the assault comes from his mouth. So words and ideas that are put forth. It seemed as though he'd conquered the saints. Same as Daniel chapter 7. And then there's also this three and a half year time period. Now, now this man described in Revelation chapter 13 is also described in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verses 3 through 4 as the Antichrist, or sorry, as the man of lawlessness. And he's described as the Antichrist in 1 John chapter 2 verse 18. Now, there's a point to all this. It's not just so that we would uh, be mesmerized by biblical prophecy. No, 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 no. It's so that, and I'd invite you to uh, write this down, that we understand that there will be increasing opposition until final judgment. That there will be increasing opposition until final judgment. And that's really important for you and I as Jesus followers to come to terms with. Because if we aren't ready for opposition, if we aren't ready for pushback, then we'll crumble when it comes. But we're told here, it's going to get worse before it gets better. That final judgment is talked about in verse 26 when Daniel writes, The court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. Talking about the Antichrist or this little horn's end. But just as sure as we should be about God's victory in the end, we should also be just as sure that in between now and then, there's going to be hostility. There's going to be opposition. There, there will be pushback. And Daniel's being told this, and you and I should hear this as well, so that we don't get stuck in a moment. Friends, following Jesus is not going to be easy, but he will always be with us, and we can be confident that he will have ultimate and final victory. I love the way that Martin Luther reminded us of that reality in the great hymn, A Mighty Fortress. Listen to what he wrote. He said, That word above all earthly powers, or maybe even beasts, no thanks to them abideth, the spirit and the gifts are ours, through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also, the body they may kill, God's truth abideth still, his kingdom is forever. And in so many ways, that's the message of Daniel chapter 7. But we'll, we have to understand that there's going to be increased opposition until there's final judgment. But here's a second detail that shouldn't be lost on us. And it shows up in verse 27 and says this, and the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole of heaven shall be given, catch this, to the people of the saints of the Most High. And 
his kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom and dominion shall serve, all dominion shall serve and obey him. So not only do we see that the son of man will reign alongside the ancient of days in the end, but now we see that that kingdom is ultimately given to his saints, to to you and to me. That's the reason that Paul will write to the church at Philippi in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, and he'll say this, but our citizenship, your citizenship, and my citizenship is in heaven. And it's from there that we wait our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know, friends, if there is a more important idea in our current political season than to have the conviction that we are citizens of heaven. I mean, uh, before we're citizens of the United States or wherever you're a citizen of, we are a citizen of heaven. We've got to remember that that's the core of our identity, regardless of what party we may associate with. Our ultimate citizenship is in heaven. But Daniel doesn't stop with just citizenship. He says, no, 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 you're citizens, but you're also rulers, <laughs> Your rulers, you will rule with God. And I'd invite you to write this down. If we're not going to get stuck in a moment and we're going to remember that God is in control above the chaos, we have to know that our citizenship is in heaven and that we are training for reigning. That right now, today, we are training to reign with Jesus, to serve him and to reign alongside of him in his kingdom. So you might be asking, well, Ryan, what does that even look like? What does that mean? It means we learn to become his ambassadors. It means that we learn to walk by his spirit, where we bear the the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Those are the kinds of characteristics that position us to reign with our king and to do it in a way that reflects his way and his heart. And ultimately, this is a dance that we learn to do, following the Spirit. But if we're going to not get stuck in a moment that we can't get out of, we have to remember where our true citizenship lies, who our true king is, and what our destiny is as people who will reign with the Son of Man and the Ancient of Days forever. I love that we're studying Daniel chapter 7 the week before, or just a few days before our national elections. Because Daniel 7 reminds us that we're part of a way bigger story. Daniel 7 reminds us of where history is ultimately heading. It reminds us of the victory of Jesus. It reminds us that he's in control over what inevitably feels like a chaotic season. And it reminds us that there will be opposition. That's just a part of the story, but it also reminds us. And I love the fact that this is getting driven home right before we cast our ballots. Listen, there is an unshakable kingdom and it is ruled by an immovable king and your citizenship and mine is ultimately in that kingdom. So would you write this down as we close our time together? 
Regardless of who serves as our next president, would you remember that Jesus reigns as king? Regardless of who serves as our next president, Jesus reigns as king. So cast your ballot for president, but bow your knee to Jesus. Give your support to our country, but but pledge your allegiance to the kingdom. Care about what happens on Tuesday, November 3rd, but obsess, obsess over what happened on Calvary. And maybe that's it. Maybe, maybe I've been saying it wrong this whole time. Maybe, maybe, we, maybe we should get stuck in a moment. But not in this moment. Not in the COVID election moment. Let's get stuck in the moment where Jesus gave himself for us on the cross, shedding his blood and offering forgiveness of sins. Let's get stuck in the moment when he walked out of the grave holding new life in his hands. Let's get stuck in the moment where he sealed the promise that he will one day make all things new. Let's get stuck in the moment where love dealt a final blow to hate, where light overcame darkness, and where good triumphed over evil. As Revelation chapter 5 verse 9 and 10 recount for us and give us a vision of the throne room of heaven, listen to what John wrote. He said, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe, every language, and every nation. And you've made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. Friends, that's the kingdom that we are a part of. And if you don't know Jesus, I would invite you today to give your life to him. He, he's the king who reigns over all of this. He's conquered sin and death through his blood shed on the cross. By faith, you can have new life in him. See, the scriptures say that all of us have turned away from God. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but that God in his love has been pursuing you and me. He declared it on the cross and by faith you can be made new and alive in him. You can enter into his kingdom. You can become his citizen and he can become your Lord. That's what Daniel 7 is all about, about the king who reigns supreme over the chaos. So let's take a moment And let's ask him to reign over our chaos right now, today. So Lord, I pray that you would, that you would reign and rule, show yourself powerful, not just over the beasts of history, but over the monsters in our life too. God, we trust you. Even when it's not comfortable, we're confident. Jesus, we look towards your your final victory, but we also know that there will be opposition along the way. Throughout the opposition, would you train us to live in your way with your heart as your citizens reigning alongside of you. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.
Thank you for listening to our service. We'd love to have you join us in person. For more information about our church and service times, please visit efcc.org. If you would like to support the ministries of Emmanuel Faith, you can do so at efcc.org give.